THE RETURN OF THE KING BOOK ONE CHAPTER ONE PART ONE MINAS TIRITH Pippin looked out from the shelter of Gandalf's cloak. He wondered if he was awake or still sleeping, still in the swift-moving dream in which he had been wrapped so long since the great ride began. The dark world was rushing by, and the wind sang loudly in his ears. He could see nothing but the wheeling stars, and away to his right vast shadows against the sky, where the mountains of the south marched past. Sleepily he tried to reckon the times and stages of their journey, but his memory was drowsy and uncertain. There had been the first ride at terrible speed without a halt, and then in the dawn he had seen a pale gleam of gold, and they had come up to the silent town and the great empty house on the hill and hardly had they reached its shelter when the winged shadow had passed over him once again, and men wilted with fear. But Gandalf had spoken soft words to him, and he had slept in a corner, tired but uneasy, dimly aware of comings and goings, and of men talking, and Gandalf giving orders. And then again, riding, riding in the night. This was the second, no, the third night, since he had looked in the stone. And with that hideous memory he woke fully, and shivered, and the noise of the wind became filled with menacing voices. A light kindled in the sky, a blaze of yellow fire behind dark barriers. Pippin cowered back, afraid for a moment, wondering into what dreadful country Gandalf was bearing him. He rubbed his eyes, and then he saw that it was the moon rising above the eastern shadows, now almost at the full. So the night was not yet old, and for hours the dark journey would go on. He stirred and spoke. "'Where are we, Gandalf?' he asked. "'In the realm of Gondor,' the wizard answered. "'The land of Anorian is still passing by.' There was silence again for a while. Then, "'What is that?' cried Pippin suddenly, clutching at Gandalf's cloak. "'Look! Fire! Red fire! Are there dragons in this land? Look, there is another!' For answer, Gandalf cried aloud to his horse, "'On, Shadowfax! We must hasten! Time is short! See, the beacons of Gondor are alight, calling for aid! War is kindled! See, there is the fire on Amandin, and flame on Eilenach! Eilenach! And flame on Eilenach, and there they go speeding west! Nardal, Erelas, Minrimon, Kalinad, and the... Halifirian on the borders of Rohan. But Shadowfax paused in his stride, slowing to a walk, and then he lifted up his head and neighed, and out of the darkness the answering neigh of other horses came, and presently the thudding of hoofs was heard, and three riders swept up and passed like flying ghosts in the moon, and vanished into the west. Then Shadowfax gathered himself together and sprang away, and the night flowed over him like a roaring wind. Pippin became drowsy again, and paid little attention to Gandalf telling him of the customs of Gondor, and how the lord of the city had beacons built on the tops of outlying hills along both borders of the great range, and maintained posts at these points where fresh horses were always in readiness to bear his errand riders to Rohan in the north, or to Belphalas in the south. "'It is long since the beacons of the north were lit,' he said, "'and in the ancient days of Gondor they were not needed,' for they had the seven stones. Pippin stirred uneasily. 
"'Sleep again, and do not be afraid,' said Gandalf. "'For you are not going like Frodo to Mordor, but to Minas Tirith, "'and there you will be as safe as you can be anywhere in these days. "'If Gondor falls or the ring is taken, then the Shire will be no refuge.' "'You do not comfort me,' said Pippin. "'But none the less sleep crept over him. "'The last thing that he remembered before he fell into deep dream "'was a glimpse of high white peaks, "'glimmering like floating isles above the clouds.' "'as they caught the light of the westering moon. "'He wondered where Frodo was, "'and if he was already in Mordor, or if he was dead, "'and he did not know that Frodo from far away "'looked on that same moon as it set beyond Gondor, "'ere the coming of the day. "'Pippin woke to the sound of voices. "'Another day of hiding and a night of journey had fleeted by. "'It was twilight. "'The cold dawn was at hand again,' and chill grey mists were about them. Shadowfax stood steaming with sweat, but he held his neck proudly, and showed no sign of weariness. Many tall men heavily cloaked stood beside him, and behind them in the mist loomed a wall of stone. Partly ruinous, it seemed, but already before the night was past the sound of a hurried labour could be heard, beat of hammers, clink of trowels, and the creak of wheels. Torches and flares glowed dully here and there in the fog. Gandalf was speaking to the men that barred his way, and as he listened Pippin became aware that he himself was being discussed. "'Yea, truly, we know you, Methron, dear,' said the leader of the men, "'and you know the passwords of the seven gates, and are free to go forward. But we do not know your companion. What is he? A dwarf out of the mountains in the north? We wish for no strangers in the land at this time.' "'unless they be mighty men of arms "'in whose faith and help we can trust.' "'I will vouch for him before the seat of Denethor,' said Gandalf. "'And as for valour, that cannot be computed by stature. "'He has passed through more battles and perils than you have, Ingold, "'though you be twice his height, "'and he comes now from the storming of Isengard, "'of which we bear tidings, "'and great weariness is on him, or I would wake him. "'His name is Peregrine, a very valiant man.' "'Man?' said Ingold dubiously, and the others laughed. "'Man!' cried Pippin, now thoroughly roused. "'Man! Indeed not! I am a hobbit, and no more valiant than I am a man, save perhaps now and again by necessity. Do not let Gandalf deceive you.' "'Many a doer of great deeds might say no more,' said Ingold. "'But what is a hobbit?' "'A halfling,' answered Gandalf. "'Nay, not the one that was spoken of.' he added, seeing the wonder in the men's faces. Not he, yet one of his kindred. "'Yes, and one who journeyed with him,' said Pippin, "'and Boromir of your city was with us, and he saved me in the snows of the north, and at the last he was slain defending me from many foes.' "'Peace,' said Gandalf. "'The news of that grief should have been told first to the father.' "'It has been guessed already,' said Ingold. "'for there have been strange portents here of late. "'But pass on now quickly, "'for the lord of Minas Tirith will be eager to see any "'that bear the latest tidings of his son, "'be he man or—' "'Hobbit,' said Pippin. "'Little service can I offer to your lord, "'but what I can do I would do, "'remembering Boromir the Brave.' "'Fare you well,' said Ingold, "'and the men made way for Shadowfax, "'and he passed through a narrow gate in the wall.' "'May you bring good counsel to Denethor in his need, and to us all, Mithrandir,' Ingold cried. 
"'But you come with tidings of grief and danger, as is your wont,' they say. "'Because I seldom... Uh, oh, "'Because I come seldom, but when my help is needed,' answered Gandalf. "'And as for counsel, to you I would say that you are over-late in repairing the wall of the Pelinor. "'Courage will now be your best defence against the storm that is at hand, "'that and such hope as I bring. "'For not all the tidings that I bring are evil.' "'but leave your trowels and sharpen your swords.' "'The work will be finished ere evening,' said Ingold. "'This is the last portion of the wall to be put in defence, "'the least open to attack, "'for it looks towards our friends of Rohan. "'Do you know aught of them? "'Will they answer the summons, think you?' "'Yes, they will come, "'but they have fought many battles at your back. "'This road and no road looks towards safety any longer. "'Be vigilant.' But for Gandalf Stormcrow you would have seen a host of foes whoops But for Gandalf Stormcrow you would have seen a host of foes coming out of Anorian, and no riders of Rohan, and you may yet. Fare you well, and sleep not. Gandalf passed now into the wide land beyond the Ramas Echor. So the men of Gondor called the outwall that they had built with great labour, after Ithilien fell under the shadow of their enemy. For ten leagues or more it ran from the mountain's feet and so back again, enclosing in its fence the fields of the Pelinor, fair and fertile townlands on the long slopes and terraces falling to the deep levels of the Anduin. At its furthest point from the great gate of the city, north-eastward, the wall was four leagues distant, and there from a frowning bank it overlooked the long flats beside the river, and men had made it high and strong, for at that point, upon a walled causeway, the road came in from the fords and bridges of Osgiliath, and passed through a guarded gate between embattled towers. At its nearest point the wall was little more than one league from the city, and that was south-eastward. There Anduin, going in a wide knee about the hills of Emin Arnon in south Athelion, bent sharply west, and the outwall rose upon its very brink, and beneath it lay the keys, and beneath it lay the keys and landings of the Harland, for craft that came upstream from the southern fiefs. The townlands were rich, with wide tilth and many orchards, and homesteads there were with oast and garner, fold and byre, and many rills rippling through the green from the highlands down to Anduin. Yet the herdsmen and husbandmen that dwelt there were not many, and the most part of the people of Gondor lived in the seven circles of the city, or in the high vales of the mountain borders, in Los Arnach, or further south in Fair Lebenin, with its five swift streams. There dwelt a hardy folk between the mountains and the sea. They were reckoned men of Gondor, yet their blood was mingled, and there were short and swarthy folk among them, whose sires came more from the forgotten men, who housed in the shadows of the hills in the dark years, ere the coming of the kings. But beyond, in the great fief of Belphalas, dwelt Prince Imrahil in his castle of Dal Amrath by the sea, and he was of high blood, and his folk also, tall men, and proud, with sea-grey eyes. Now after Gandalf had ridden for some time, the light of day grew in the sky, and Pippin roused himself and looked up. To his left lay a sea of mist, rising to a bleak shadow in the east, but to his right great mountains reared their heads, ranging from the west to a steep and sudden end, as if in the making of the land the river had burst through a great barrier, 
carving out a mighty valley to be a land of battle and debate in times to come. And there, where the white mountains of Ered Nimres came to their end, he saw, as Gandalf had promised, the dark mass of Mount Mindaloin, the deep purple shadows of its high glens, and its tall face whitening in the rising day. And upon its outthrust knee was the guarded city, with its seven walls of stone so strong and old that it seemed to have been not builded but carven by giants out of the bones of the earth. Even as Pippin gazed in wonder the walls passed from looming grey to white, blushing faintly in the dawn, and suddenly the sun climbed over the eastern shadow and sent forth a shaft that smote the face of the city. Then Pippin cried aloud, for the tower of Ecthalion, standing high within the topmost wall, shone out against the sky, glimmering like a spike of pearl and silver, tall and fair and shapely, and its pinnacle glittered as if it were wrought of crystals, and white banners broke and fluttered from the battlements in the morning breeze, and high and far he heard a clear ringing, as of silver trumpets. So Gandalf and Peregrine rode to the great gate of the men of Gondor at the rising of the sun, and its iron doors rolled back before them. Mithrandir, Mithrandir, men cried, now we know that the storm is indeed nigh. It is upon you, said Gandalf. I have ridden on its wings. Let me pass. I must come to your lord Denethor, while his stewardship lasts. Whatever betide, you have come to the end of the Gondor that you have known. Let me pass. Then men fell back before the command of his voice, and questioned him no further, though they gazed in wonder at the hobbit that sat before him, and at the horse that bore him. For the people of the city used horses very little, and they were seldom seen in their streets, save only those ridden by the errand-riders of their lord. And they said, "'Surely that is one of the great steeds of the king of Rohan. Maybe the Rohirrim will come soon to strengthen us.' But Shadowfax walked proudly up the long winding road. For the fashion of Minas Tirith was such that it was built on seven levels, each delved into the hill, and about each was set a wall, and in each wall was a gate. But the gates were not set in a line. The great gate in the city wall was at the east point of the circuit, but the next faced half south, and the third half north, and so to and fro upwards, so that the paved way that climbed towards the citadel turned first this way, and then that across the face of the hill. And each time that it passed the line of the great gate it went through an arched tunnel, piercing a vast pier of rock, whose huge outthrust bulk divided in two all the circles of the city save the first. For partly in the primeval shaping of the hill, partly by the mighty craft and labor of old, there stood up from the rear of the wide court behind the gate a towering bastion of stone, its sharp edge as a ship-keel facing east. Up it rose, even to the level of the topmost circle, and there was crowned by a battlement, so that those in the citadel might, like mariners in a mountainous ship, look from its peak sheer down upon the gate seven hundred feet below. The entrance to the citadel also looked eastward, but it was delved in the heart of the rock. Thence a long lamp-lit slope ran up to the seventh gate. Thus men reached at last the high court, and the place of the fountain before the feet of the white tower, tall and shapely, 
fifty fathoms from its base to the pinnacle, where the banner of the stewards floated a thousand feet above the plain. A strong citadel it was indeed, and not to be taken by a host of enemies, if there were any within that could hold weapons, unless some foe could come behind and scale the lower skirts of Mindaloin, and so come upon the narrow shoulder that joined the hill of guard to the mountain mass. But that shoulder, which rose to the height of the fifth wall, was hedged with great ramparts, right up to the precipice that overhung its western end, and in that space stood the houses and domed tombs of bygone kings and lords, forever silent between the mountain and the tower. Pippin gazed in growing wonder at the great stone city, vaster and more splendid than anything that he had dreamed of, greater and stronger than Isengard, and far more beautiful. Yet it was in truth falling year by year into decay, and already it lacked half the men that could have dwelt at ease there. In every street they passed some great house or court, over whose doors and arched gates were carved many fair letters of strange and ancient shapes. Names Pippin guessed of great men and kindreds that had once dwelt there. And yet now they were silent, and no footsteps rang on their wide pavements, nor voice was heard in their halls, nor any face looked out from door or empty window. At last they came out of shadow to the seventh gate, and the warm sun that shone down beyond the river, as Frodo walked in the glades of Ithilien, glowed here on the smooth walls and rooted pillars, and the great arch with keystone carven in the likeness of a crowned and kingly head. Gandalf dismounted, for no horse was allowed in the citadel, and Shadowfax suffered himself to be led away at the soft word of his master. The guards of the gate were robed in black, and their helms were of strange shape, high-crowned, with long cheek-guards close-fitting to the face, and above the cheek-guards were set the white wings of sea-birds. But the helms gleamed with a flame of silver, for they were indeed wrought of mithril, heirlooms from the glory of old days. Upon the black surcoats were embroidered in, a, in white a tree blossoming like snow beneath a silver crown and many-pointed stars. This was the livery of the heirs of Elendil, and none wore it now in all Gondor save the guards of the citadel before the court of the fountain, where the white tree once had grown. Already it seemed that word of their coming had gone before them, and at once they were admitted, silently and without question. Quickly Gandalf strode across the white-paved court. A sweet fountain played there in the morning sun, and a sward of bright green lay about it, but in the midst, drooping over the pool, stood a dead tree, and the falling drops dripped sadly from its barren and broken branches back into the clear water. Pippin glanced at it as he hurried after Gandalf. It looked mournful, he thought, and he wondered why the dead tree was left in this place, where everything else was well tended. Seven stars, and seven stones, and one white tree. The words that Gandalf had murmured came back into his mind, and then he found himself at the doors of the great hall beneath the gleaming tower, and behind the wizard he passed the tall, silent door-wardens, and entered the cool, echoing shadows of the House of Stone. They walked down a paved passage, long and empty, and as they went Gandalf spoke softly to Pippin. "'Be careful of your words, Master Peregrine. This is no time for hobbit pertness. 
Theoden is a kindly old man. Denethor is of another sort, proud and subtle, a man of far greater lineage and power, though he is not called a king. But he will speak most to you, and question you much, since you can tell him of his son Boromir. He loved him greatly, too much perhaps, and the more so because they were unlike. But under cover of this love he will think it easier to learn what he wishes from you rather than from me. Do not tell him more than you need, and leave quiet the matter of Frodo's errand. I will deal with that in due time. And say nothing about Aragorn either, unless you must. Why not? What is wrong with Strider? Pippin whispered. He meant to come here, didn't he? And he'll be arriving soon himself anyway. Maybe, maybe, said Gandalf, though if he comes it is likely to be in some way that no one expects, not even Denethor. It will be better so. At least he should come unheralded by us. Gandalf halted before a tall door of polished metal. See, Master Pippin, there is no time to instruct you now in the history of Gondor, though it might have been better if you had learned something of it, when you were still bird-nesting and playing truant in the woods of the Shire. Do as I bid. It is scarcely wise, when bringing the news of the death of his heir to a mighty lord, to speak over much of the coming of one who will, if he comes, claim the kingship. Is that enough?' "'Kingship?' said Pippin, amazed. "'Yes,' said Gandalf. "'If you have walked all these days with closed ears and mind asleep, wake up now.' He knocked on the door. The door opened, but no one could be seen to open it. Pippin looked into a great hall. It was lit by deep windows in the wide aisles at either side, beyond the rows of tall pillars that upheld the roof. Monoliths of black marble, they rose to great capitals carved in many strange figures of beasts and leaves, and far above in shadow the wide vaulting gleamed with dull gold, inset with flowing traceries of many colours. No hangings, nor storied webs, nor any things of woven stuff or of wood were to be seen in that long solemn hall, but between the pillars there stood a silent company of tall images, graven in cold stone. Suddenly Pippin was reminded of the hewn rocks of Argonath, and awe fell on him as he looked down that avenue of kings long dead. At the far end, upon a da dais of many steps, was set a high throne under a canopy of marble shaped like a crowned helm. Behind it was carved upon the wall and set with gems an image of a tree in flower. But the throne was empty. At the foot of the dais, upon the lowest step, which was broad and deep, there was a stone chair, black and unadorned, unadorned, <laughs> black and unadorned, and on it sat an old man gazing at his lap. In his hand was a white rod with a golden knob. He did not look up. Solemnly they paced the long floor towards him until they stood three paces from his footstool. Then Gandalf spoke. "'Hail, lord and steward of Minas Tirith, Denethor, son of Ecthelion. I am come with counsel and tidings in this dark hour.' Then the old man looked up. Pippin saw his carven face with its proud bones and skin like ivory, and the long curved nose between the dark deep eyes, and he was reminded not so much of Boromir as of Aragorn. "'Dark indeed is the hour,' said the old man, and at such times you are wont to come, Mithrandir. But though all the signs forebode that the doom of Gondor is drawing nigh, 
less now to me is that darkness than my own darkness. It has been told to me that you bring with you one who saw my son die. Is this he? It is, said Gandalf, one of the twain. The other is with Theoden of Rohan, and may come hereafter. Halflings they are, as you see, yet this is not he of whom the omens spoke. Yet a halfling still, said Denethor grimly, and little love do I bear the name, since those accursed words came to trouble our counsels, and drew away my son on the wild errand to his death. My Boromir! Now we have need of you. Faramir should have gone in his stead. He would have gone, said Gandalf. Be not unjust in your grief. Boromir claimed the errand, and would not suffer any other to have it. He was a masterful man, and one to take what he desired. I journeyed far with him, and learned much of his mood. But you speak of his death. You have had news of that ere we came? I have received this, said Denethor, and laying down his rod he lifted from his lap the thing that he had been gazing at. In each hand he held up one half of a great horn cloven through the middle, a wild ox-horn bound with silver. That is the horn that Boromir always wore, cried Pippin. Verily, said Denethor, and in my turn I bore it, and so did each eldest son of our house, far back into the vanished years, before the failing of the kings, since Vorondil, father of Mardil, hunted the, the wild kine of Ara in the far fields of Run. I heard it blowing dim upon the northern marches thirteen days ago, and the river brought it to me, broken. It will wind no more. He paused, and there was a heavy silence. Suddenly he turned his black glance upon Pippin. "'What say you to that, halfling?' Thirteen days, thirteen days,' faltered Pippin. "'Yes, I think that would be so. Yes, I stood beside him as he blew the horn, but no help came. Only more orcs.' "'So,' said Denethor, looking keenly at Pippin's face, "'you were there? Tell me more. Why did no help come? And how did you escape? And yet he did not. So mighty a man was he, and only orcs to withstand him.' Pippin flushed and forgot his fear. "'The mightiest man may be slain by one arrow,' he said, "'and Boromir was pierced by many. "'When last I saw him he sank beside a tree "'and plucked a black-feathered black -feathered shaft from his side. "'Then I swooned and was made captive. "'I saw him no more, and know no more, "'but I honour his memory, for he was very valiant. "'He died to save us, my kinsman Mariadoc and myself,' waylaid in the woods by the soldiery of the Dark Lord, and though he fell and failed, my gratitude is none the less. Then Pippin looked the old man in the eye, for pride stirred strangely within him, still stung by the scorn and suspicion in that cold voice. Little service, no doubt, will so great a lord of men think to find in a hobbit, a halfling from the northern shire, yet such as it is I will offer it, in payment of my debt." Twitching aside his grey cloak, Pippin drew forth his small sword, and laid it at Denethor's feet. A pale smile like the gleam of cold sun on a winter's evening passed over the old man's face, but he bent his head and held out his hand, laying the shards of the horn aside. "'Give me the weapon,' he said. Pippin lifted it and presented the hilt to him. "'Whence came this?' said Denethor. "'Many, many years lie on it.' "'Surely this is a blade wrought by our own kindred in the north in the deep past.' 
"'It came out of the mounds that lie on the borders of my country,' said Pippin. "'But only evil whites dwell there now, and I will not willingly tell more of them.' "'I see that strange tales are woven about you,' said Denethor. "'And once again it is shown that looks may belie the man, or the halfling. "'I accept your service.' "'For you are not daunted by words, and you have courteous speech, "'strange though the sound of it may be to us in the south. "'And we shall have need of all folk of courtesy, "'be they great or small, in the days to come. "'Swear to me now.' "'Take the hilt,' said Gandalf, "'and speak after the Lord, if you are resolved on this.' "'I am,' said Pippin. "'The old man laid the sword along his lap, "'and Pippin put his hand to the hilt, "'and said slowly after Denethor, here do I swear fealty and service to Gondor, and to the lord and steward of the realm, to speak and to be silent, to do and to let be, to come and to go, in need or plenty, in peace or war, in living or dying, from this hour henceforth, until my lord release me, or death take me, or the world end. So say I, Peregrine, son of Paladin of the Shire of the Halflings. And this do I hear, Denethor, son of Ecthalion, lord of Gondor, steward of the high king, and I will not forget it, nor fail to reward that which is given, fealty with love, valour with honour, oath-breaking with vengeance. Then Pippin received back his sword, and put it in its sheath. And now, said Denethor, my first command to you, speak and be not silent, tell me your full tale, and see that you recall all that you can of Boromir, my son. Sit now and begin. As he spoke, he struck a small silver gong that stood near his footstool, and at once servants came forward. Pippin saw then that they had been standing in alcoves on either side of the door, unseen as he and Gandalf entered. "'Bring wine and food and seats for the guests,' said Denethor, "'and see that none trouble us for one hour.' "'It is all that I have to spare, for there is much else to heed,' he said to Gandalf. "'Much of more import, it may seem, and yet to me less pressing. "'But maybe we can speak again at the end of the day.' "'And earlier it is to be hoped,' said Gandalf, "'for I have not ridden hither from Isengard one hundred and fifty leagues with the speed of wind, "'only to bring you one small warrior, however, courage, however courteous.' Is it not to you that Theoden has fought a great battle, and that Isengard is overthrown, and that I have broken the staff of Sauron? It is much to me, but I know already sufficient of these deeds for my own counsel against the menace of the East. He turned his dark eyes on Gandalf, and now Pippin saw a likeness between the two, and he felt the strain between them, almost as if he saw a line of smouldering fire drawn from eye to eye, "'that might suddenly burst into flame. "'Denethor looked indeed much more like a great wizard than Gandalf did, "'more kingly, beautiful, and powerful, and older. "'Yet by a sense other than sight, "'Pippin perceived that Gandalf had the greater power and the deeper wisdom, "'and a majesty that was veiled, and he was older, far older. "'How much older, he wondered, and then he thought how odd it was that he had never thought about it before. Treebeard had said something about wizards, but even then he had not thought of Gandalf as one of them. What was Gandalf? In what far time and place did he come into the world, and when, did he, when would he leave it? 
and then his musings broke off, and he saw that Denethor and Gandalf still looked each other in the eye, as if reading the other's mind. But it was Denethor who first withdrew his gaze. "'Yea,' he said, "'for though the stones be lost,' they say, "'still the lords of Gondor have keener sight than lesser men, "'and many messages come to them. "'But sit now.' "'Then men came bearing a chair and a low stool, "'and one brought a salver with a silver flagon and cups and white cakes. "'Pippin sat down, but he could not take his eyes from the old lord.' Was it so, or had he only imagined it, that as he spoke of the stones a sudden gleam of his eye had glanced upon Pippin's face? "'Now tell me your tale, my liege,' said Denethor, half kindly, half mockingly, "'for the words of one whom my son so befriended will be, will be welcome indeed.' Pippin never forgot that hour in the great hall under the piercing eye of the lord of Gondor, stabbed ever and anon by his shrewd questions, and all the while conscious of Gandalf at his side, watching and listening, and, so Pippin felt, holding in check a rising wrath and impatience. When the hour was over and Denethor again rang the gong, Pippin felt worn out. "'It cannot be more than nine o'clock,' he thought. "'I could now eat three breakfasts on end.' "'Lead the Lord Mithrandir to the housing prepared for him,' said Denethor, "'and his companions may lodge with him for the present, if he will. "'But be it known that I have now sworn him to my service, "'and he shall be known as Peregrine son of Paladin, "'and taught the lesser passwords. "'Send word to the captains that they shall wait on me here, "'as soon as may be after the third hour has rung. "'And you, my Lord Mithrandir, shall come too, as and when you will.' "'None shall hinder your coming to me at any time, "'save only in my brief hours of sleep. "'Let your wrath at an old man's folly run off, "'and then return to my comfort.' "'Folly,' said Gandalf. "'Nay, my lord, when you are a dotard you will die. "'You can use even your grief as a cloak. "'Do you think that I do not understand your purpose "'in questioning for an hour one who knows the least, "'while I sit by?' "'If you understand it, then be content,' returned Denethor. "'Pride would be folly that disdained help and counsel at need, "'but you deal out such gifts according to your own designs. "'Yet the Lord of Gondor is not to be made the tool of other men's purposes, however worthy. "'And to him there is no purpose higher in the world, as it now stands, "'than the good of Gondor, and the rule of Gondor, my lord, is mine, and no other man's, "'unless the king should come again.' "'Unless the king should come again,' said Gandalf. "'Well, my lord steward, it is your task to keep some kingdom still against that event, which few now look to see. In that task you shall have all the aid that you are pleased to ask for. But I will say this. The rule of no realm is mine, neither of Gondor nor any other, great or small. But all worthy things that are in peril as the world now stands, those are my care.' And for my part, I shall not wholly fail of my task, though Gondor should perish, if anything passes through this night that can still grow fair or bear fruit and flower again in days to come. For I also am a steward. Did you not know? And with that he turned and strode from the hall, with Pippin running at his side. Gandalf did not look at Pippin or speak a word to him as they went. Their guide brought them from the doors of the hall, and then led them across the court of the fountain into a lane between tall buildings of stone. 
After several turns they came to a house close to the wall of the citadel upon the north side, not far from the shoulder that linked the hill with the mountain. Within, upon the first floor above the street, up a wide carven stair, he showed them to a fair room, light and airy, with goodly hangings of dull gold sheen unfigured. It was sparely furnished, having but a small table, two chairs, and a bench. But at either side there were curtained alcoves and well-clad beds within, within, with vessels and basins for washing. There were three high, narrow windows that looked northward over the great curve of Anduin, still shrouded in mists, towards the Emin Muil and Rauros far away. Pippin had to climb on the bench to look out over the deep stone sill. "'Are you angry with me, Gandalf?' he said, as their guide went out and closed the door. "'I did the best I could.' "'You did indeed,' said Gandalf, laughing suddenly, and he came and stood beside Pippin, putting his arm about the hobbit's shoulders and gazing out of the window. Pippin glanced in some wonder at the face now close beside his own, for the sound of that laugh had been gay and merry. Yet in the wizard's face he saw at first only lines of care and sorrow, though as he looked more intently he perceived that under all there was a great joy, a fountain of mirth enough to set a kingdom laughing, were it to gush forth. "'Indeed you did your best,' said the wizard, "'and I hope that it may be long before you find yourself in such a tight corner again between two such terrible old men. Still, the Lord of Gondor learned more from you than you may have guessed, Pippin. You could not hide the fact that Boromir did not lead the company from Moria, and that there was one among you of high honour who was coming to Minas Tirith, and that he had a famous sword. Men think much about the stories of old days in Gondor, and Denethor has given long thought to the rhyme and the words, Isildur's Bane, since Boromir went away. He is not as other men of this time, Pippin, and whatever be his descent from father to son, by some chance the blood of Westerness runs nearly true in him, as it does in his other son, Faramir, and yet did not in Boromir, whom he loved best. He has long sight. He can perceive, if he bends his will thither, much of what is passing in the minds of men, even of those that dwell far off. It is difficult to deceive him, and dangerous to try. Remember that. "'for you are now sworn to his service. "'I do not know what put it into your head or your heart to do that, "'but it was well done. "'I did not hinder it, "'for generous deeds should not be checked by cold counsel. "'It touched his heart as well, may I say it, "'as pleasing his humour. "'And at least you are free now to move about as you will in Minas Tirith, "'when you are not on duty. "'For there is another side to it. "'You are at his command, and he will not forget. "'Be wary still.' He fell silent and sighed. "'Well, no need to brood on what tomorrow may bring. For one thing, tomorrow will be certain to bring worse than today, for many days to come. And there is nothing more than I can do to help it. The board is set, and the pieces are moving. One piece that I greatly desire to find is Faramir, now the heir of Denethor. I do not think that he is in the city, but I have had no time to gather news. I must go, Pippin.' I must go to this lord's council and learn what I can. But the enemy has the move, and he is about to open his full game, and pawns are likely to see as much of it as any, Peregrine, son of Paladin, soldier of Gondor. Sharpen your blade. Gandalf went to the door, and there he turned. I am in haste, Pippin, he said. Do me a favour when you go out. 
even before you rest, if you are not too weary. Go and find Shadowfax, and see how he is housed. These people are kindly to beasts, for they are a good and wise folk, but they have less skill with horses than some. That's the end of Part 1 of Chapter 1 of Book 1 of The Return of the King. Read by Kara Schallenberg, www.kray.org, on Friday, June twentieth, two 2014, in San Diego, California.